Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Larimer. Today, joined by Mr. Chris Hutting. Let's get into the news of today. And our first story is from ANC National Chairperson Gweda Mantashe, who has defended Kader deployment in Parliament. Now, this is just after the DA won a court victory, which will force the ANC to reveal the minutes of its Kader deployment committee that it has been keeping from the public eye. So uh, in the next four days, I think, the ANC has to deliver those minutes to the public, to the DA, who will make them public. And then we will get to see what discussions took place in that cater deployment uh, committee meetings over the time that President Ramaphosa was the head of that committee. Um, Mantasha, however, defended cater deployment, saying that... Uh, uh, what it has done is, and I'm quoting here, has changed the situation where every director general was a white male in 1994. It has changed the reality of where every judge was a white male, where every mayor was a white male. Cater deployment has changed that reality. Um, and uh, he said that this was the great success of it and it had proven to be a tremendous triumph for the ANC. However, um, this is slightly at odds with what another minister responded in a recent question um, asked in Parliament where she denied that catered deployment was ever government policy. So this is a little bit embarrassing. I think that on one hand, the ANC is denying that it has ever implemented catered deployment as a part of government policy. and On the other hand, is claiming that catered deployment has resulted in the transformation of society. Um, so it must be one or the other. Uh, Chris, what do you make of this? Um, it's fascinating that, firstly, I think the debate has shifted so much on catered appointment. It wasn't even that long ago that catered appointment was mostly just kind of thought of as normal or not that bad or just a simple part of the political process. You know, the party in power gets to appoint who it wants to wherever. Um, and now the debate is turning around. And in fact, the media is starting to refer to catered appointment as a, quote, controversial policy. Uh, what do you make of this? Well, those conflicting statements, they almost make you think of catered deployment. Maybe we should title it Schrodinger's catered deployment. Does it exist? Does it not exist? When do we find out if it does? You know, what is the actual reality? Look, it's a, it's a central requirement of the National Democratic Revolution that the ANC, as the vanguard of the revolution, should control the levers of states, the levers of the economy, of society, and you exert that control by, for example, deploying your caters. Uh, party appointees, connections, it could be people in departments, government departments, in SOEs, but also in the private sector, um, into those, you know, the, the phrase that was pop popular a few years ago, white monopoly capital. So those captains of industry, you want to um, place your connections and your influence in that particular sphere as well. Um, so to try and pretend that it didn't happen, I think is... Uh, next level of, of self-delusion. But on Mantashe's comments specifically, I think they are illustrative in terms of the what he and many, I think, in the NEC of the ANC view as as what transformation is. Um, it's aesthetics, it's cosmetic, it's ticking a box. There's nothing around education, around upskilling, around long-term uh, assisting people, um, enabling or them. even to not just poverty reduction. Right, poverty reduction. It's not about just enabling people to sort of further themselves, but it's about what you give them as the party. What are their political connections? All that sort of thing. So I think it is useful in that regard to once more show this is what the ANC considers to be transformation, like ticking a box. 
exactly there's there's something of uh, a kind of complete inability to deal with the criticisms of cadre deployment mm. um and it's just sort of this is the same defense that the ANC has sort of used forever is that it's changing the racial demographics of the country but as to it's ever uh, as to whether it's actually made life better for many black south africans well the ANC seems to be unable to come up with an answer on that particular question okay let us move on to our next story and this is one of those corruption stories that just sort of can shock even a cynical uh, a cynical crusty fellow like myself so a karting consultancy firm was given a contract by the karting provincial government to provide 75000 internships for unemployed youths over 3 years uh, the company was paid 65 million rand for this and this was part of a uh, the Vutela project which was launched by the MEC for um uh, 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 economic development in Gauteng. Um, however, it turned out firstly that the owner of the company that won the consulting firm that won the contract has an association with the MEC for economic development. It then turned out that tender processes were not followed in the awarding of this uh, contract for 65 million rand. Things then got worse. While it was originally supposed to create 75,000 internships, that was very quickly reduced once again, without following tender processes, to 5,000 internships, uh, but the amount of 65 million rand was kept the same. And then things got worse when the company only managed to provide evidence that it created 142 such opportunities, not even the lower 5,000 that it was supposed to. So uh, this was fought out in court, and the Gauteng High Court has ordered the company to pay back 52 million rand uh, in order, uh, which is the approximate profit that they made from this contract. Um, Chris, you know, there's a lot of corruption scandals every day in the country, but it's ones like this that make you sort of shake your head as how did it even get that far when it was so blatant? No, absolutely. Um, no real attempt maybe to, to do it slowly, but surely to do it piece by piece, but to just go, go all in um, sort of the brazenness. But again, this, uh, this hopefully this should outrage people, but it shouldn't surprise them given the policies that are in place, the kind of incentives that we have, both in terms of uh, the sort of basic conduct of government departments, provincial departments, but also just legislation more broadly, um, things like preferential procurement in SOEs, all of these things incentivize uh, questionable, corrupt criminal contracts, um, the skimming off the top of resources, for middlemen, um, many, many middlemen, not just one or two, but because, because you're limiting economic activity so much through the various policies and legislation you impose, you raise, raise the stakes for those sorts of connections. And that's how many people then get ahead is by coming up with these sorts of very ingenious, creative ways <laughs> to really inflate uh, prices and, and um, make sure that they themselves and their connections are the better off to the overall cost of the average South African citizen. And linked to our first story around cater deployment, these are necessary consequences of these ideas and policies. It's not an aberration or anything like that. Exactly. Um, as the Zondo Commission report explained, uh, cater deployment and corruption of this sort of scale go kind of hand in hand, right? Because everyone is politically and often... Um, uh, closely connected to each other through either either through some kind of political faction alignment or perhaps through personal relationships or something like that 
um, and cater deployment and be basically provide the cover to you know award contracts like this to 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 caters um, that have these huge payouts luckily this one seems to have been stopped and so hopefully the money will be paid back the government can recoup its losses but this should uh, have further criminal investigations i think as well as to how this process was uh, approved um okay let us move on to our last story for today and that is that um i think it was just over a year ago on this show we talked about how load shedding was not the end of the infrastructure decay path and that water shedding would soon become a reality well in a, a couple of the major metros um eteguini so the metro around durban and johannesburg we are starting to see that become a reality uh, a report, I believe it was in News 24, suggests that Johannesburg has not had a single day in 2024 without some sort of major water shortage so far. Most of this is in uh, Region B, which is the sort of area Northcliffe, Melville, Auckland Park, Bordeaux, Bryanston, uh, the CBD, City Deep, as well in, in Region F. Um, and... Uh, the, the, while not all of those areas have been without water the entire time, it's sort of been an on and off kind of approach. Now, I actually do live in one of those areas, but I'm lower down uh, on the water on the on the system, so I usually don't run out of water even when the water supply is cut off. But I've heard from many people in the areas around that there have been very big int- problems with intermittent water over the past couple of months. Uh, the city says that it's losing anywhere between 25 to 40% of water to leaks. And while it does have some upgrades planned for city water systems, these are months, if not years, away from being implemented. The city says that it has not been able to match the growing population. There's been gro- population growth of at least 2% per year, and yet there's been relatively little uh, infrastructure developments in many of these areas to actually increase the capacity to deal with uh, the water systems. Uh, and furthermore, the city complained that they have a significant number of people who are bypassing their meters to avoid having to pay uh, uh, fees for the water they consume. Chris, um, what do you make of this when paired with Durban's major water outages? Uh, it really seems as though South Africa's metros are entering a sort of critical stage of infrastructure collapse. No, absolutely. Um, it's one thing if people are somewhat able to state-proof themselves in things like electricity, so you can install solar panels, you can get your UPS, your generator with diesel, if there's still diesel supply, if that doesn't, doesn't all go to ESCOM, given how much diesel they're burning for their open-cycle gas turbines. But when bulk water infrastructure collapses, um, that, that foretells, I think, very negative consequences for urbanization, for economic growth, for obviously healthcare, um, sanitary concerns, um, and overall the sort of, I guess, quality of life in the society. Um, I think it's, it's a very worrying sign. It shouldn't be underestimated, I think. So where people are able to, where they're able to put pressure on um, public representatives, but also in their own ways with their businesses, their communities, where they can start to take some sense of ownership of the immediate infrastructure, at least in their facility, maybe take uh, ownership, you know, not directly, but sort of broadly responsibility for reservoirs, that sort of thing. Maybe look at what are the issues in your particular area? Can they be addressed? What are the funding constraints? How can you make sure that the funds that you provide in the form of tax revenue, for example, can there be some set aside for emergencies, um, some sort of backup or something like that? It's very difficult to navigate. I don't think there's an easy answer. But given that South Africa is also a water-scarce country, 
um, this sort of thing could become all the more acute over the next five to 10 years and could be exacerbated by the prospect of coalitions across the board where you got might get more changes very quickly um, that you might not have had before, which means do you have the right systems in place, the right incentives, so that if people change, at least the work of a state, as one would assume it normally, uh, is being done. Um, municipalities are also under a lot more pressure as people, for example, go off-grid, lower revenue, so fewer resources. The assumption being that the resources they collect are being adequately spent, which isn't always the case. Um, but municipalities, I think, are going to be, be under even more pressure with lower revenue, which means they could increase tariffs again at some point. So it's sort of a bit of a vicious cycle. And the water situation, maybe up until now, has been neglected at the cost of, uh, because of what's going on with load shedding. That doesn't mean it should be underestimated given the seriousness uh, thereof, unfortunately. Right. And the two are also often connected because mm. um, the city of Joburg has not been very good at providing alternative power sources for its various pumping stations as far as I'm aware um, and so often when the electricity goes out the water is not being pumped in the volumes it needs to be uh, also if you're a person of means and you are already sort of state proofed against um, uh, you know maybe with a solar system or something like that or, or, or inverter system maybe think about also having some kind of backup water system uh, in case your area begins to run out of water but anyway that is all the time we have for the show today. We hope you found this interesting. We'll see you tomorrow on the Daily Friend Wrap. Cheers, everyone.